If you want to sing out, sing out. And if you want to be free, be free. Because there's a million ways to be. You know that there are. <laughs> and if you want to live high, live high. And if you want to live low, live low. Because there's a million ways to go. You know that there are. Cat Stevens, my favorite. <laughs> and that's why today we're talking about Harold and Maude, which we just saw in theaters. Well, not for the first time, though. Not for the first time. No, um, I, that's probably with four. I haven't seen it a lot, but like four or five times maybe uh, since I first saw it in the probably, I don't know, I'm going to say around 79, 80. I saw, it, I saw it at a repertory theater in Cleveland that ran uh, double features, uh, one on Saturday and one on Sunday. So for couple years I saw four movies every weekend and that was a big deal because those are the days where there are no VCRs no TiVo there was no way to record movies or rent them they didn't that didn't exist you had to go to the theater so to see four movies in a week yeah that's commitment that was a lot (laughs) and I, I drove from Akron to Cleveland too so actually I went with a friend and she drove but Nonetheless, I traveled from Akron to Cleveland, and so it was probably 45 minutes to an hour each way. Did the two of you always go together? Pretty much. Cool. Yeah. And so um, it was uh, there that I saw it. So I saw it on the big screen the first time, but it was uh, probably nine or ten years or so after it was first released that I first saw it. So I hadn't, had no idea what I was going to see, right. usually with these movies, because I just went to see them, you know. And uh, it was a revelation. It was just... Tremendous. I know some people really don't like this movie. They and it, and I admit it's broad, it's not subtle at all. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean it isn't good. Mm-hmm. You know. And I mean, it is maybe that some people can't can't handle the the nature of the relationship between the two main well, characters. I, I think we should say right here. This is going to be spoiler filled. Right. So if somebody hasn't seen it. Go see. Go it. see it. And then, then come and listen because um, it's. And I think by saying what happens, um, there are a few things that they're not twists, but they're revelations of the people and what their lives are like. That uh, or where they come from, I guess, is more like it. That I again, this was back. What? How? How long ago was like 1980, 1979? I mean, that's like 40. What, 30. No, <laughs> I, well, almost 40, yeah. like 37 years, 38 years. So long time. So could have been way more naive. I could have just been an innocent. But to me, I wasn't, I didn't, I, I guess I, and I was so open-minded. I wasn't trying to figure it out or, you know, whatever. I just took it in and they they moved me and they, and impacted me in a way. So uh, it, it might be for somebody else too. Even though they're living in the modern, jaded, twenty first century, second decade of the twenty first century, maybe they're they would also like to do it that way and not hear what happens. So come back later. Yeah, uh, sounds good. Yeah. And it, yeah, it's the maybe kind of the, for me at least the defining characteristic of this movie, which. I saw it for the first time maybe middle school or high school, and I think it was with you at some point. Oh, no, I know it we was. We rented it. Yeah. Um, you've, you've only seen it that one time, though, right? This is only the second time you've seen pretty it. Pretty much. I may have watched it with a friend at one point, maybe, in between, but I don't think so. Okay. Um, this was for sure the first time I've seen it on the big screen. 
there's a theater in our city called Central Cinema in Seattle, and they play old movies and things. Central Cinema shows things that you don't usually get to see on the big screen, old stuff, cult stuff, so they're really cool. Um, and we knew that we had to take this opportunity and go. And so, I think they do it every year, but we had to take the opportunity every year now from now on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not a one-time opportunity, just an opportunity. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, yeah. So but for me, the movie just felt so fresh the first time I saw it, even though it's, it's an old movie at this point. Um, yeah. And so for me, that's the defining characteristic of the movie is like freshness. Yeah, I, th- I think it is. I think it's buoyant. I think it's uh, it's alive it's positive it's loving it's warm and it has certainly got darkness to it but it isn't i wouldn't say it's a dark movie at all actually and i i think that's a problem for a lot of people i think this is one of the reasons it isn't higher up in the pantheon although it's fairly high and it's a cult following and tons of people love it but um i think that's one of the things that people have trouble with is that it's not it its symbolism is is straight up um, it's, it's meaning is straight up and it's buoyant and that's just, people want it to be ironic. They want it to be mm-hmm. cool. They want it to be dark. They want it to be edgy. And this one actually is, I don't know that it's edgy, but I think it's transgressive. Yeah. I very much perfect so. word. Yeah. Very much so. And oddly enough, I think it's transgressive both because it's joyous. Yeah. The sincerity of it. Yeah. And the emotional and the, and the, 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 the sweet emotionality of it and the actual plot. Which is, we'll now reveal the plot of the movie, so definitely turn it <laughs> off if you haven't seen the film. But it's about a, a relationship between a, maybe a 20-something or a 20-year-old boy and man, man and a 79-year-old woman. Um, a sexual a, a, a relationship that um, begins as friendship and, and ends up being sexual. As well, yeah. A, a deep, a, an actual Romantic, love affair. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and that just... D- d- um, is so very disturbing to people, but uh, the reason the movie carries it off so well is I'm just going to put this directly on the on the to the credit of Bud Court, who is the male lead. Um, it's was only his third movie and only a second leading role when he and he's quite young, and his performance is so honest and so real and warm. Yeah, that I I adore. I, I, I've all, after the first time I saw it, I just like was in love with Bud Court. And of course, I'm not in love with Bud Court. I'm in love with Harold. Of course, yeah. I'm in love with the character of Harold and the way he portrays him. Yeah, he's super wonderful. Just kind of the, the perfect example of like someone who has, you know, their own stuff going on, but just accepts their partner so fully. Yeah, well, um, well, we can get into that whole uh, thing about what she what she offers him and and mm-hmm. uh, the analysis around the fact that um, Ruth Gordon, who's the the female lead, uh, veteran actress and uh, screenwriter, did some a uh, lot of the, uh, Spencer Tracy and Catherine Hepburn movies. She and her husband Garson Kanan were sc- uh, screenwriters, um, as well as the fact that she was an actress on Broadway television movies i mean you know anybody who knows old movies knows ruth gordon but um that she was um her character i should say was essentially a manic pixie dream girl right uh, but with but so maybe we should talk about many pixie dream girls as an aside real quick yeah go ahead um there's this sort of a genre of movies out there that 
um, explore this trope or just use the trope um, where sort of a, usually it's a, a depressed young man or older man who um, encounters a woman who kind of acts as a catalyst to help him find joy in life and usually is very, this woman is very quirky and eccentric. And she's almost always young. Right. Like 20s. Right. Yeah, that's that's a huge um, difference between this movie and sort of the rest of the, the movies with this trope in it. Um, and so she's just eccentric and kind of does wild things for no reason or just for the joy of living, and that's pretty much what that trope is. Well, also the thing, the, the, the Manic Pixie Dream Girl trope is the um, male analogy to the, to the uh, white knight that is for women in terms of in terms of the fact there's this wonderful amazing person who really kind of doesn't actually have a real personality of their own they're, they they just accept pro, they're, they're projected on in a way and or their behavior is interpreted in such a way that for the girl it's there's this depressed as you said uh, usually a guy stuck in a rut doesn't know what direction to take he's not free and she comes and she shows him how to be free Whereas the uh, knight, the white knight, which you might say an officer and a gentleman is a very good example of this, which you haven't seen, but um, where the uh, the woman is usually poor and... Uh, Exterior circumstances usually yeah. sort of oppressed. Or oppressed, yes. Yeah. She's oppressed. She's depressed. She's not, uh, she's not seen and not... Uh, given uh, the love that she is entitled to or whatever. And then this man comes in and he's almost always rich. Yeah. Uh, and he's he's stable. And what he does is he brings stability. So uh, the man gets freedom through being uh, destabilized and having his life shaken up. Whereas the woman, she gets freedom through a man bringing stability, financial, emotional stability to her to her world. But those are the kind of the two sides of the coin on that that savior uh, motif, right? Yeah. So we talked it out, and we decided that indeed uh, Maud does fit a lot of this this trope, but then transcends it in certain ways. Um, definitely the the re- sort of age re- the extreme age reversal. Um, really changes the dynamic and changes people's reaction to it because it it just strips bare that sort of if you watch an old hollywood movie it's so very common to see an actor who's in his 50s or 60s starring opposite a 20 or 30 year old woman um so there's that and that's even addressed within the movie itself yeah there is but more for me more the issue was that maud was and uh, you you we find this this out about halfway through the the movie um, is that she isn't just this flippity gibbet uh, let's be free sort of chaotic neutral screw, chaotic good sort screw, of yeah and screw force. the screw screw um, the establishment screw rules I just do what I want uh, that that isn't like that's that's her that has been her all her life but it was a choice she made. Uh, clearly, in order to uh, be able to embrace and love life after she had uh, gotten out of the concentration camps as a survivor of Auschwitz, I, well, they didn't even say they which one, yeah. but it was pretty. It was more, most likely Auschwitz because most of the others were just kill, killing camps and people didn't survive those. But um, you, it, it's it's really a, a, to me, and it probably happened was more likely because uh, 
it was when I saw it it was in the, like 1980 or 79 as I said and the Holocaust was not it was people knew about it and you knew what it was when you saw the tattoo on her arm but it wasn't something that was so um, high in the consciousness. It wasn't something like the first thing you would think necessarily. Right. Like Whereas a now, I think stone of what you're educated about in history class. Right. And, right. and I think that, uh, yeah, I think that she uh, that uh, so it was more of a surprise. I think that it might be to somebody now who might have seen this coming. Right. You know, but it still had a huge impact on, more importantly, on Harold because mm-hmm. um, he had come to love her. He was in love with her. Uh, or maybe he loved her, and then when he saw that, it cemented it because he he knew something about her. He, he knew about her past. He understood what she had gone through, and that she had, um, what despite what she'd gone through, she'd chosen to be joyous and loving, and to love life. And they make that very obvious, very clear. Right, <laughs> hitting you on the head with it with yeah, the music, and for sure, <laughs> but still good. <laughs> yeah, to set the scene a little bit, they. Um... They meet uh, because, so Harold's like this sort of rich, um, comes from a rich family and doesn't doesn't need to work in the place he's at right now, whether it's between school or just being jobless. And so he's going to funerals just because of his morbid fascination. Well, he's depressed. Yeah. His mother, um, in which we find out later, is that his mother is so narcissistic, she doesn't have any room for him in her emotional life. And he has no father. The father is uh, gone. So, or died, I don't remember what. I think, do you remember? Did you ever say? It doesn't say? really say. She kind of shares a, a story about the father at, at one point, yeah. but it doesn't say. So he's gone. Uh, so Harold's been abandoned either by his father's death or by his father leaving. And then his mother is absolutely um, so self-consumed that she has no emotional capital for him and never never has like superfluities like her her social life and stuff yeah how appearances right which is very narcissistic yeah and um so he this happens one time the first time um he almost killed he actually almost kills himself by um blowing up a chemistry lab at school um his it's reported to his mother that he's dead and he actually happens to be home and accidentally oversees the police coming and telling her this and she just puts on a show of of this uh, of this grief but there's no real caring or feeling or asking about him or thinking about him uh so it hammers home finally that he's has no love and there's no love in his life and no support and so after that he becomes um fascinated with death with Mm -hmm. suicide and more importantly fascinated with just torturing his mother yeah (laughs) (laughs) which is some of the best scenes ever (laughs) pretty awesome um (laughs) and so he's been going to funerals as sort of part of that um just unaffiliated people's funerals he just shows up he's not part of the crowd or anything um um, but he's there and then he also sees maude and she's been going to funerals for maybe a very different reason um and she attracts his attention and then kind of... Um, they just come together. They come together, yeah, and start spending time together. They go to the carnival. They, you know, do wild shenanigans and stuff. But through the course of that, their relationship deepens and they learn more about each other. Well, yeah, and essentially um, essentially, what she does for him, she's self-sufficient. But what she does for him is she offers him the, the love and, and she sees him. And uh, which no one has ever done before. So she finally sees him and she has that unconditional love mm-hmm. that um, that he's never seen before. 
uh, and then um, so shall we say what the end is sure okay so Maud is going to be turning I Harold 80. meets Maud 80 uh, a week before she's going to turn 80 and um, that we don't you don't know this at the beginning but you find out at the end that she had decided that you know 80 was a really good long time to live she's living it to the fullest she's full of gusto and while she's still happy and joyous she's going to end her life um and uh on her birthday and she does Mm -hmm. and so uh her love for harold and his need for her does not change her course or change what she what what she she has decided her fate is going to be I think it's a pretty um, powerful statement about suicide and suicide because her suicide doesn't come from depression. Right. It doesn't come from... It's choice. Yeah, exactly. So it's um, just so different from what people's motives are usually portrayed as or what drives a lot of people. And and it doesn't... uh, doesn't, uh, Harold fusses around. I mean, he's constantly pretending to commit suicide. Mm -hmm. And she just does it. She makes a decision, she does it. Right. And there's no monkeying around, no trying to get attention, none of that kind of thing. And I feel like that's been um, uh, the sort of the theme for Maud is not to hold anything tightly, uh, to let everything go, everything be free, because she learned through her having lost everything, including uh, a husband that she uh, obviously dearly loved. And just very, they hint at it, but you can see that there was nothing left for her after she got out so she made the choice to accept that to fill it with love and to not hold anything and not see any object or person as being permanent or to or to be um pursued Mm -hmm. and uh that's uh uh, i think it's just it's very interesting because it's very easy to overlook maude and her depth because she's such a wacky character right in certain ways and that's that's another that's that's also where it's or maybe more of where it transcends that that manic dream pixie girl trope is because that's usually a flat role, but she's a very a deep character. Yeah, when when you think about it. Yeah. And I think a lot of times it's uh, it's certainly like I didn't pick a lot of that stuff up the first time I saw it either. Yeah, you said something really insightful when we were going home on the bus and we were talking about the scene where Harold and Maud meet for the day and they see this, or Maud sees this tree that's, um, you know, planted. It's like a sidewalk tree and she sees that it's um, kind of diseased and unhealthy and she says, like, gotta liberate this tree. Um, We have to. And so they um, come back with some tools and they steal the tree and they take it out to the forest and replant it. Um, But along the way, they're driving a stolen car and with stolen city property and they encounter a policeman. Well, the, actually, the the thing is, is there, there is that, but the main thing is, is they drive through a toll booth without paying. They right. just whiz right through, so the cops always are there waiting, and they just, he just pulls out. And uh, then in, what ensues is a, a sequence where she pretty much humiliates this policeman. She kind of runs him in a circle. She pretend. Now, the thing is, is they don't wink at you, so you think, oh, she's 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 just kind of ditzy and she doesn't understand what he's saying she'll say things that sound goofy and but it gets her out of the situation and then she just pulls away and and really um if you pay attention to her character and her intelligence you know she knows darn well what that policeman was saying to her even though she responded with a non sequitur or as if she didn't really understand she did and she uh she's doing these things where she um 
she runs the car around and he falls off his motorcycle or whatever. Anyway, she makes him look like an idiot. Yeah. And um, and that it it seems just like kind of a little wacky sequence. Or gee, why is she hum- humiliating this this guy who's just trying to do his job and everything? But um, and this is where they don't hit you over the head. Um, she makes a point to the to the policeman when they stop her. She says, "Don't be officious. You're not your you're not yourself when you're officious." And and uh, it's really and she says something about having a really rough government job. And when you really think about her background and her um, survivorship, ha- yeah, yeah, her survivorship, what happened to her, and you think of the, what the people looked like who put her in the concentration camp. They also were wearing jack boots. They were wearing um, uh, black uniforms, which he was wearing a black uniform. A lot of them. Uh, they were they were wearing they the. They were wearing these um, intimidating clothing and had intimidating manner and were asserting their authority um, in an oppressive way. And and in, essentially, this cop ended up kind of doing that because as he got more agitated, he got became more of an asshole. Right. And he even pulled his gun and was going to shoot them at one point. Um, and so it shows that he was really willing to go all the way, and she was right about him. And so throughout the movie, a lot of her wackiness and her uh, her... Uh, uh, flouting of rules and so forth is usually aimed at some authoritarian figure like that, like a, a priest. Uh, and certainly the, the Catholic Church, certainly um, they not only look the other way, in some a- instances there's actual support from the Catholic Church. So you can kind of see that, that, that she's choosing these types of people. And she said, I rebel, but in small ways now. And so this is her way of kind of unsettling. And, and But she also sees them as people. I mean, she speaks to this man as a person. And uh, so she sees them as people. It's not just a, 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 an angry reaction or a vengeful act on her part. Yeah. And I loved that when you said that because I didn't, didn't follow that process, thought process all the way. It didn't really make that connection for me until you said it. But then it rang really true. And I was like, yeah. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> Um, <laughs> and it made me, you know, connect with Maude a lot more, too, and like that a lot. Um, and it, any viewers who saw it at the time the movie came out probably um, were really aware of all the, the political unrest happening, all the protests and things around the wars. And uh, so it well, would they speak were, to them as well. Well, the, the zeitgeist, I, don't, I haven't read anybody, I haven't read any articles. Of course, I haven't done re- deep research on it where they were talking about that specifically. But, I mean, just the, the thing about flouting authority mm-hmm. was just that was going on. Absolutely. It's a little bit later. I mean, we're getting into 80, so there wasn't as much. But this this story is really rooted earlier. And it was written earlier 70s. Even written a little bit earlier than it came out. You know, oh, yeah, so. absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It had to be. And the, the cop, as I told you, uh, and this doesn't mean anything to you, I know, <laughs> but the, the guy uh, who's a cop who you don't really see his face. He's got a big mustache and glasses and a helmet. And that's Tom Skerritt, who ended up being a very... Um, a uh, very famous actor, maybe not a leading man, but certainly a, a, a well-known actor who was in Top Gun and so on and so forth. So I thought that was a nice little... To be also in that scene, um, when Harold is grabbing the, the shovel out of the truck, I guess Bud Court actually hit himself on the head with it accidentally. <laughs> and he said it really, really hurt, but he didn't want to say anything so they wouldn't have to reshoot it. <laughs> so I like that bit. <laughs> All right. Well, we're kind of running time, so why don't we talk more about Bud Court, Pumping Iron, Cat Stevens. 
I make a mark in time I can't say the mark is mine I'm only the underline of the word Cause I'm like him, just like you I can't tell you what to do Like everybody else, I'm searching through what I've heard Whoa, where do you go When you don't want no one to know Who told tomorrow Tuesday's a day Welcome back to our Held and Modcast. I guess it's a good time. Shall we talk about Bud Court? I loved his performance, and uh, I always remember after seeing the movie, it's like, like whatever happened to Bud Court? And um, so I would see him in little things all the time. Well, not all the time, but... but frequently enough where he would have a small part and go that's Bud Court oh my god that's Bud Court <laughs> what's why is he in that movie why is he doing that little bit, bit part you know he seemed like he should be starring in films and, and I mean he was he's an unusual looking guy yeah and because he's so got such a, a, a baby face but he's he was really kind of tall and thin with a lot of leg yeah. which are kind of weird proportions he's just really it would have been so cool to see him in more leading roles. Oh, totally. Yeah. But uh, he couldn't make it because he, um, first first because he clashed with the, the, the studio over letting Hal Ashby have first, have, having final cut of the movie. Because they, usually producers or directors don't get final cut. They have, you have to be, it's a special thing you get. The studio just takes and they cut it the way they want. Okay. And so, but, uh, so Bud Court said, I'm not going to promote this movie if you don't let him have final cut. And so he did. It didn't mean he got everything he wanted in it. Uh, because in the um, trailer, which we saw at the Central Cinema, they had it the week before we saw, got to see the trailer, there's actually a kiss between Harold and Maude, which is a shame they didn't put it in. It would have oh, been wonderful. Yeah. But the head of the studio, being uh, an older, and he wasn't that old. I think Robert Evans who was the head of the studio at the time. He's, but he's probably, what? 40 maybe mm-hmm. you know he would look at that and go oh no because he liked all the younger women and he wanted to see his own fantasy on screen so he just that just so disgusted him and was so transgressive he wouldn't let it be in the film but the rest of it was and um then it was released and it flopped and then bud court all he got were roles for weird weird young guys mm-hmm. they weren't good the good roles that he wanted although he was offered the graduate Oh, he was. He was offered the graduate, oh. and he turned it down. Yeah. And then Dustin Hoffman got it, and because he said, "Well, it's another one of those roles." That's true. It would have seemed like a little bit of a rehash. Well, it was the really older, the young man, the older woman. Yeah. I don't know what to do with my life. The young guy just all. It was. It was the same template. Yeah. Um, although, it really, kind of was. It was different yet the same. And so it's a shame he didn't take it. Boy, that would have been really cool to see. I mean, Dustin Hoffman obviously is great in that film. But it would have been cool. So anyway, he turned that down and may- maybe didn't make some great cho- choices. And then he got into a horrible auto accident. And then, I don't know, I don't know all the details, but then he you know, had to climb back. He seemed to know a lot of people. He seemed to be pals with a ton of people. And then he had yet another auto I mean, there's like one where his arm was almost torn Poor off. Poor guy. He had so many accidents. I know. Auto accidents. I mean, he had his, like, apparently his arm was almost torn off. And then there's one he had, he had to learn how to walk again. And one that just smashed his whole face in i mean I, I mean they were bad and so that held him back quite a bit and then um and then 
later he had a third one later on you know like a few decades later just ter- you know, almost oh died, killed him every time but the the one story that we and we saw on YouTube you can see this on YouTube there's actually an interview with Bud Court and I think Barbara Walters is is conducting the interview and he's talking about his friendship with Groucho Marx and apparently he lived at Groucho's house right around the time Groucho was really ill and uh, at the end of his life. So ba- the basic thing is Groucho gave Bud Cord his tooth. Yeah. As a good luck charm because he wanted him to have success at, at the audition and everything. And so um, Bud Cord um, took the you know, he took the tooth he was like because he's a weird guy and he would love something like that. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I, I would too if I had that kind of relationship with with Groucho. And so anyway, um, he took it and he accidentally swallowed or... He was supposed to take some medicine, some nerves, something for his nerves. And he right. accidentally, he looked at his hand and realized he was holding the pill and the tooth. <laughs> That's right, he swallowed the tooth. <laughs> or, or, yeah, he swallowed the tooth or whatever. And so he was waiting... <laughs> for it to come out so he could retrieve it because he wanted the tooth (laughs) and so i guess but three days later something happened and he actually choked it up yeah so it must have been lodged somewhere which is very weird story yeah so he actually still has groucho's tooth and And even shows it on camera yeah (laughs) Yeah. so it's really good (laughs) so the other thing is that kind of also um intrigued us about bud court is that we were watching uh another movie recently pumping iron which is documentary about bodybuilding. Yeah, with Arnold Schwarzenegger, it was sort of his breakout movie here. He had done a film before Hercules where he'd been dubbed, and it's terrible. I've seen it. But, you know, if you love Arnold, you might want to see it. But but Pumping Iron is the documentary that brought it uh, brought him real recognition or knowledge in the wider world of America. He was a very, very famous in, in the bodybuilding uh, area. He was... Renown, right? He was the the king of kings. Yeah. Oh, totally. So this documentary is really cool. It's definitely worth watching. Oh, it's very good. But anyway, apparently, originally, if you watch the uh, the Ex- extras, yeah, that uh, they were originally going to have Bud Cork be in it as uh, he would get training from Arnold on how to build himself up. And so there are a few scenes that they shot. <laughs> yeah, God, is they're like really funny. Lifting weights with his tiny noodle arms. Yeah, and his like, little short he's shorts. So and super like oh, skinny, pale. <laughs> and and you could just tell it's agony for him. And so I don't know. He said that he he dropped. He, he then dropped out and said, "Look, uh, this is this is actually derailing your film. Uh, this is uh, this is not this should not be the story because they wanted to have some kind of story or something to to hook for a hook." Right. And it was a wise choice. It would have been a, a worse. Real distraction. Yeah. yeah. It was much better to, to meet all the bodybuilders and so forth. Also, who knows? Maybe he just felt, I hate this. Yeah. I don't do <laughs> this true. anymore. Seems convenient. <laughs> and so he gave him back the, the rest of his fee. He only took the money for what he actually did. And uh, they used the money to complete the film. So that all worked out well. Until I got hurt. Till I got hurt. Why didn't I? Cat Stevens uh, provided the music, which I love. Um, it was uh, some of it he wrote for the a, a couple original songs, yeah. especially the most famous "If You Wanna Sing Out, Sing Out." Is that song. the most famous? I, I think that's the most famous yeah. from the movie. Okay. Anyway, it's funny because when I first learned Cat Stevens, I never even heard that song anywhere except in the movie. Right. So it's interesting. He didn't release it. I don't uh, think not till much CDs. later. Yeah. yeah, not till much later. Um, Trouble. Oh, Trouble is the one that was most famous to me. Trouble, oh, trouble, can't you see? You have made me wreck. 
Now won't you leave me in my misery? But I love Cat Stevens, and I probably talked about it. he was the my heartthrob all through high school, um, and maybe even middle school, even maybe even earlier. I just because I love his music, and he was so good looking, and I love I just love his music. And a lot of people have compared again Graduate Harold and Maude, uh, because Simon and Garfunkel did the Graduate music, and here's Cat Stevens doing the Harold and Maude music. And someone said they thought that the um, that Simon and Garfunkel created a more a music that sort of melded better and was more interpretive. But I don't agree. Yeah, it's just that they're very different types of artists, and they they create different kinds of music. And um, I think Cat Stevens did a really good job, and and chose and that Ashby chose the music well. Totally, I think it. it kind of lends an energy to the scenes. Yeah, the scenes tend to be kind of. Even if there's stuff going on in them, they're they're calm. You know, mm-hmm. they're not. There's no not a lot of outburst or frantic activity or anything like that. And mm-hmm. so I think it really brings the the energy. What's well, also cre- it also brings in a sincerity that because Harold is for most of the movie he's not he's he doesn't act sincere. He keeps it he keeps it Close. undercover. Yeah, yeah, and he's sort of like rye and he'll uh, you know kind of wink at the camera and uh, not literally but he will look at the camera and make a make a kind of a face or he'll be very really good at that very cynical about things or whatever and there's the the music is is sincere it's lovely and sincere and it it kind of helps keep you grounded in the emotional life i think totally and that's I'd also say I think there are a lot of cathartic elements to the movie actually but I'd say that's another one for me one thing that kind of struck me about the movie this time around was um, sort of the liminal space that it's set in I'd say and where you know real realistic isn't really a good litmus for what the setting is like obviously there's not very much realism or um and it's there's all a lot kind of, of a metaphorical realism, right? And there's a lot of there's criticism that that we've seen that it somehow it isn't realistic or something, right? People are like, oh, I can't take a blowtorch to the car and just make it into a completely different car, <laughs> or like, um, or like I was like, why are all these adults hanging out in this arcade right now? Like that's kind of <laughs> weird. There's only adults at this theme park, <laughs> and obviously, um, Harold's uh, like faked suicides are way too real real looking to yeah. have been. Well, well, they're also impossible. It's impossible for him to set himself on fire and then walk into the room like two seconds later. Exactly, yeah. 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 And there's a, the bit where he goes, there's a part where he goes to meet his uncle who's a um, a war veteran. He's a uh, a, um, uh, a general? I think he's a general or colonel or something. I thought so, yeah, yeah. A colonel. Yeah, and he's, he, and he's a completely... Bizarre. He's almost like a Doctor Strange Love type of character. If you've yeah. ever seen Doctor Strange yeah, Love, caricature of total caricature, Army man. totally like just way out there. Yeah. And he's he's got a, a missing limb that um, and, and a sleeve <laughs> hanging off. But he has a string that's threaded through his jacket so he can pull it to make because it's his right arm. Make it the sleeve 
uh, pull a salute. Right. <laughs> and, I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous. Right. You know? And he does it while he's, like, looking at a portrait of, like, the president yeah. or whatever. Yeah, exactly. So it's not only kind of unreal at stick, but it's uh, absurd. Right. Uh, and then when they're walking, and then when he, uh, uh, Harold goes to visit him because his mother wants Harold to go into the army because she doesn't know what to do with him because he's acting up so much. And so he's supposed to talk to his uncle about it, and the uncle's supposed to get him in. Uh, they meet at, I think it was an old, maybe an, uh, a veterans hospital or a rest home for veterans or whatever. And in the background, as they're walking and talking, they're like, like an old man in his full uniform and his hat walking with a cane, and all of a sudden he just goes, and hits the ground. <laughs> yeah. Totally. You know, and, and other stuff is happening in the background that's absolutely just cartoonish. And, and um, so none of that is, is realistic, and it's not intended to be, I think. Um, it, it felt to me like a little bit of magical realism. Right. I, when you said that, it kind of hit the nail on the head for me, or I was, I was like, oh, yeah. yeah, totally. Yeah, funny magical realism. Right. <laughs> <laughs> not an Isabella Lenda type of magical yeah. realism, which is very lyrical and, uh, and dramatic. So, yeah, I mean, because there, it's it's fundamentally based in real the real world mm-hmm. in as much as, um, you know, Maud takes the poison and she does die and, and uh, you know, various things happen. But they you're right. They live in a liminal world where um, certain certain magical things happen. Yeah. That just couldn't be real. Yeah. But it makes it fun and it makes it unexpected. Fun, unexpected. And it'll. I think it kind of allows the like sort of emotional content to take center mm. stage as well, um, where there's no need to uh, deal with the mundane details, like right. Um, you know, Maud's sort of rebellious spirit and um, intentions. Like, if she was doing all that shit in real life. She'd be like getting real trouble from the cops, you know, right. not just right. having little skirmishes. So it, I think it was a really smart move on the part of the director. Not only is it fun, cool, a little bit different and stuff, but it it just allows him to cut out a lot of kind of bullshit that's not necessary to the em- emotional content of the story. Right. Yeah. I think that's a really good point. Yeah. Um, so that that makes it enjoyable, but uh, unfortunately, there are a lot of people. Um, even Roger Ebert, who did not like this movie at all. Really? Roger Ebert didn't no, like the movie? No, he did not like it. And I, I think that maybe it takes repeated viewings to see it. I mean, I loved it when I first saw it. And I saw it in, like, 19, early 1980s. So it was about 10 years after the movie came out. But I um, I guess what it was is there that rebellious streak was still in the air and there were a lot of movies that were absurdist they're absolutely absurdist people rebelling all kinds of stuff happening it wasn't logical it wasn't realistic and so i was set for that i mean that made made sense to me so i don't know if it was when it was reviewed which would have been when it came out for a lot of the reviewers that that hadn't hit the zeitgeist as fully or um they just didn't watch it a couple of times or they just they just kind of skated on the surface yeah. Do you happen to remember reading anything anybody wrote no. about it specifically? No. And so I thought that was, you know, when I read, when I um, looked at that, it was interesting. Yeah. You know, Ebert didn't like it, and a lot of people didn't like it. And so 
what does make total sense to me is that it would just the relationship between Harold and Maude would make people uncomfortable. But... Oh, it's very transgressive, and I, I love it. I yeah. love it for that. And I think that uh, like we talked about Bud Court and his ability, it, it, you know, Ruth Gordon is great. Everybody loves Ruth Gordon, but she really is in her own arc, and she's doing her own thing, and she's she's reaching out to him, and she's offering him something. But he's really the one that carry that that makes that real and and carries yeah. the emotional baggage and sort of creates the space between them. He is us, basically, as the viewer, or at least that's kind of how I felt. Like mm. watching him act was cathartic, anyway. Okay, yeah, I, I didn't, I, I didn't feel like I was in that position. But maybe I felt, it's because I'm a young person who's well, like maybe. right after school and like, doesn't know what I'm doing with my life. <laughs> <Yeah>. but, <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe that is. Yeah, maybe that is right. I didn't. I guess I felt more akin to him when I watched it the first time I was younger, but not really for those reasons. It was just his wit. And his rebel he's just the one, you know, mm-hmm. that you're put in the place of liking. So uh, that's for the, as being, I guess, the classic protagonist. But um, anyway, yeah, but I just felt that he held, he, he created the space between them and created the relationship and the emotional, um, the tenderness of it and so forth. She was, she was more of like a removed, like an angel or something, kind of a removed character who was offering something, who had, who had a lot of wisdom and that kind of thing. But she, at no point was she actually vulnerable. I can't think if there's any. Cyril, Cyril Cusack, who is a famous English actor, was in it for a little cameo. He played the sculptor. Um, and Harold's Maude is played by Vivian Pickles, <laughs> a very a very well-respected English actress on, on screen and stage there. And she is... She just hits the note. She's so cutting, yeah. Yeah, she. She. I mean, she has to play a caricature, yeah. um, and she does it well. I think it must maybe that it's that training, whatever. She's not a three dimensional character at all. She's just there to be a caricature, and she hits the note perfectly, though. Yeah, yeah. She's this foil, and I don't remember whether we talked about this in the other take, but that scene. There's a scene in the movie where she is signing up basically by mail to get um, Harold some blind dates, and so. Uh, he's sitting in the chair by the armchair, and she's at the desk filling this survey out for him. And she's a, she's like, oh, yes, you don't like smoking, do you, dear? No, 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 I don't think so. And she, she's answering for him, and he's not saying anything. But then she eventually starts answering the questions herself. She's like, oh, no, I don't think women should be, you know, getting abortions. I don't believe in abortions. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> should, should, could a woman be present? Well, I don't see why not. <laughs> <laughs> and and, and, and it's really, really well done so that, you know, you've got to be paying attention to see how it morphs through her, her, uh, her scene there. And she does it, she just does it beautifully. Yeah, and I, I would actually say the movie kind of explores their relationship maybe uh, more than I would necessarily expect it to. And that scene really, really perfectly kind of exemplifies what their tension is. So for us, Harold and Maude, five stars out of five. Five out of five. Or ten out of ten, depending on what your scale is, right? (laughs) All right. All right. Thanks for joining us today. We'll be back with um, maybe another sandwich podcast. Maybe, next. maybe I don't know. We're, we're we're coming in close on a potential Marlena Dietrich podcast. But, yeah, uh, just tease that a little bit. Hey, we'll see. So I guess as far as thank yous go, really, I mean, we always thank Scarecrow Video because they we love them. Thank God for Scarecrow Video, but um, I, we've definitely rented Harold and Maude from them at some point. And uh, thank Central Cinema, which is a great place in Seattle to go see old films. 
Um, and they have cool bonus material if you go before the show and cheap tickets, especially at matinee. Uh, I think that's it. Yeah. Oh, I can't keep it in. I can't keep it in. I've got to let it out. I've got to show the world. The world's got to see. See all the love. Love that's in me. I said, why walk alone? Why worry when it's warm over here? You've got so much to say. Say what you mean. Mean what you think and think anything. Oh, why?